My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. history, a special few are privy to incredible revelation through numerous and varied means. Names like Edgar Cayce or Nostradamus come to mind. And today's guest, although not a prophet, has received revelation in one form or another through her gift to channel vital information pertaining to our current state of affairs and how that will affect the future of humanity. Rebecca Dawson, channel and author, joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Rebecca Dawson. There's no real reverence for an external system, that it's the system that we're a part of that is that has the control or the power that's the god and we're just components with it within it it's more we are the power source within everything and so coming back and this book in essence the return of the magnetic human is about coming back to that knowing again about how we actually function as magnetic beings and what that looks like and how we can tap into that Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this very special episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm Mystic Mark, and by my side is Tara, joining me as co-host. Hello. And on today's show, we have an amazing guest. She's an international speaker, an author, and a channel. Her name is Rebecca Dawson, and she joins us all the way from Australia. Rebecca, welcome to the show. How Thank are you, you this evening or morning, however time it is <laughs> over there? Well, we are all in a state of timelessness, but I am with you in this time. <laughs> so thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here with you. It is a pleasure and it's all ours. We're happy to have you on the show. And for folks who might not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about how you got into this world that you're now fully enveloped in. Tell us about that first experience that sort of brought you into channeling. 
Okay. Well, it's a bit of a longitudinal story because as I'm sure it is for you, you sort of come into this world and you're a little bit different from everybody else and the way that you see and feel and think about things is a little bit different. So that was the case for me right from the time I was really young. So I always had the capacity to see things and feel and hear things that other people didn't. So I would often see, you know, relatives that have passed away or I could see energy fields and colors around people at quite a young age. And, and that was kind of something I needed to really keep to myself, especially going through school. And I went to private Catholic schools for a while too. So that was definitely something you didn't talk about. I learned that the hard way. So during my teen years, uh, I had a lot of really interesting experiences that used to happen to me at night and when I was asleep. Actually, I won't talk about too much, but I may talk about more. <laughs> I think people in general are a lot more open to some of those things these days than they used to be. And around the time I was 17, 18, just leaving school, and I was really quite obsessed with Egypt. I went through this, this period of time where everything was Egyptian for me, and I wandered into an old antiquity store and found this old packet of Egyptian tarot cards. I took home with me and I studied them and I was so fascinated by all the imagery. And I thought I would try giving advice to just some family and friends about what I was seeing in the cart. And uh, one day I had someone come to me who was going through a really bad breakup. And as I sat there and started doing these cards, all of a sudden it wasn't me talking anymore. It didn't feel like it was. And I had an experience where I was suddenly very expanded. I call it the marshmallow man experience, like in Ghostbusters, because that's what my head felt like. And all of this information, my voice deepened and changed. And that was my first channeling experience. And it went for about an hour and I thought it was a few minutes. And it all kind of went from there. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. I like how you describe that. And when it comes to this expanding effect, have you discerned what's going on there? Do you think that's you feeling your sort of astral body, your soul leaving or growing or maybe being like setting itself aside to be replaced by something else temporarily? Like how exactly, what are the mechanics of that? That's a really great question because at the time I didn't know too much about channeling. It's not like a career path, I think, that was difficult to think about. It's not something I ever planned to do. So my understanding of it in the beginning, I had some metaphysical background, I had some training in the Theosophical Society when I was younger. So there was, you know, I knew about reincarnation and I knew that there was such a thing as channelers and things like that. So for me, I assumed what was happening was that a greater vibration was coming into my body and like flooding my awareness. Uh, I would almost feel myself behind me. So I was feeling from the back of me, I would have a more expanded view. So that's what it felt like. It felt like my field was growing, but almost like my head couldn't contain it. So I had, you know, headaches for a number of years until I really got used to it. And of course, that first instant, that's just when it begins, because then after that, you go on this incredible experience of trying to figure out happening to you if you are going crazy if you're really making all of this up and it's very difficult as a young person you know I was really young compared to I think most people when they get into this there wasn't really any 
a lot of guidance around or anyone really willing to mentor me because it was generally considered that I didn't have a sport foundation or experience to be able to handle. How, how- so in the beginning, I found it difficult because when you start journaling, or at least in my experience, anyhow, it really disrupts how your brain works. Your brain starts to work differently. Where you think works differently. I, I, I lost in the beginning a lot of my near functionality in logical sequencing and thought, memory. I know a lot of people who are starting to really expand in their own consciousness, start to have a lot of those symptoms. We call them ascension symptoms these days. A lot of that happened to me very quickly. And I was studying at university, so I ended up taking some time off and just going and traveling and trying to figure out all of this for myself. So, yeah. Were you, so were you then like energized to certain people or teachers that kind of sprang up out of nowhere seemingly I, to get, you know, to learn about your abilities? I, I think I tried pretty hard at that time too. I mean, internet was really only just in its infancy. That was quite a while ago. That was back in the uh, early 90s, right at the beginning of the 90s. And so for me, it was like books. So, okay, who's written a great book? How do I go and find them? Mm. Or that person? But what was really interesting was that despite my efforts to do that, every time I thought that I'd found someone or was about to find the person I'd been looking for, the door would be closed. So I didn't have a great deal of success in finding that kind of influence, if you will. In hindsight, I can see why I spent a number of years deepening my understanding within myself. But I'm also very glad that I didn't because the information that we've been bringing through since about 2008 was not anything that I've ever read anywhere else or being able to find anywhere else. We've generally been speaking for a long time now about the shift between 3D and 5D, which is pretty commonplace now. But back then it wasn't. And I really had to suspend all of my own beliefs to be able to bring that kind of information through. So every time we channel, we suspend our own beliefs to bring it through so there's no filter. And I feel that if I had a really strong mentor or teacher, I probably would have been influenced by their beliefs and their set of knowledge. So it worked out. It was just really hard to go through. It's, it, yeah. I imagine it, it's rewarding to take your own path and, you know, in the end you have maybe more integrity for it in, in the same sense too, because you're untainted in that sense. Like you said, there's no other you know, preconceived notions attached. Right. But, you know, as a young person, I'm sure as you also know, and most people stepping into energy, when there's no perceivable pathway in front of you and you're forging your own path, sometimes you feel like you're, you're lost so you don't really know where you're going. <laughs> and it's not till you turn around and realize that other people have started to follow you that you're actually creating the path. But that takes some time to, <laughs> to get to that point where you realize that, okay, this is the way it is. I'm not supposed to know what I'm doing or where I'm going. <laughs> Now, what were some of the first major insights that you received? You said back in 2008, this started. Yeah, some some really, I mean, really some of the bigger insights I had came spontaneously when I was in my teens and early 20s. And most of those were around concepts that I didn't really 
weren't able to articulate and such as time and space not existing in the way that you think it does. Everything happening simultaneously in the same moment and in essence, you know, uh, there's only one consciousness. But they're hard things to describe. But since around 2008, we've been talking more about the impending shift that humanity and the consciousness was going to go through on the planet and it was described to us in models of moving from a third-dimensional reality to a fifth-dimensional reality. And what are the mechanics of that look like? What does it do to your body? What does it do to you to let go of and disseminate our understanding and beliefs around to be able to actually step more fully into that? And then what is that like there? So that's principally what I've been doing for quite, quite some time, 15 years or so. That's incredible. Wow. Now, one of your more recent books, I don't know if this is your most recent book, but Foo, you're talking about the return of magnetic humans. And this is something that I'm very interested in. Tara and I, we found a whole sacred landscape here where we live in uh, the northeast part of the United States. All of these ancient stones made by different groups of people that traveled here a long time ago. And there's a sort of magnetic energy that we're starting to pick up on from this. And I'm wondering... If one of the messages you've received or, or something that you understand now is that we as, as modern humans are out of touch with something that we used to be in regular contact with. Oh, definitely. I mean, I feel that, and it's so interesting that you speak about some of those sites because I'm also super interested in those sites at the moment, actually, I'm in mean, Tennessee and I've been for Phoenix flooring all of the mound sites and geomagnetic anomalies here as well. So I think there's some synergy here in what we're both interested in. On that front, and I've traveled to many places around the world finding such sites, most of them that people aren't commonly aware of. So I always look at the planet and the galaxy and the universe itself as, as the same model as the human form or the human body or energy, just at a different scale. The more we understand about what's happening on the planet, the more we understand about our bodies and vice versa. So just to encapsulate very briefly the way the master's been talking about it for some time, we tend to live in a construct, a paradigm or a simulation or however you want to speak about it in this world that's based on an electrical system of energy transference, which means that everything's set up in circuits and it requires us to part of circuitry or connection order for us to feel as if there's any kind of sustenance or movement or flow of energy. So we look to outsource, we look to give and receive, and everything's very dependent on the integrity of that structure, that system. So if we see ourselves all as points on a circuit board, if one point breaks down, you know, <laughs> we all kind of get affected by it. Uh, it also means we have to really play along and play the game and stay in position. And uh, in many regards within the systems that we live on this planet, social systems and economic systems and education systems, you need to participate or there's access to what we believe is energy that we have to use <laughs> in order to see. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a game. And what the masters always talk about is that electrical style of systems and how we see ourselves as electrical beings is something that got introduced 
towards the end of the Atlantean period. Before that, very clear in the knowing that we magnetic things. And so all of that energy and sustenance and everything actually came from a core within ourselves. And we were able to connect into certain resonance frequencies like that on the planet where we could really feel that amplified. So not only was the planet being amplified by our synergy with that, but we were being amplified too. So it was a lovely symbiosis that was occurring between humanity and the planet. In this way, there's no, there's no real reverence for an external system, that it's the system that we're a part of that is that has the control or the power, that's God, and we're just components with it, within it. It's more, we are the power source in everything. And so coming back in this book, in essence, The Return to the Magnetic Human is about coming back to that knowing again about how we actually function as magnetic beings and what that looks like and how we can tap into that. We have, it reminds me of, um, and I think, like, Whenever I think about this, my mind goes back to when, I don't know if this happened to you or if, it, if this is a universal experience, but when we're in like high school and, or like just in, you know, in school, but we would like, you just kind of go about being you and then you're, you just find yourself pulled to uh, certain people and then you your energies just naturally play off each other. And then it kind of, and I know like for my high school experience, it created like this microcosm or like a mini world. And I think that's kind of like how it all works too. And then that mini world creates, you know, is connected to the, like this is a mini world now too, but (laughs) In my memory, like my first memory of that kind of experience, like, or this kind of experience goes back to that in a way. Yeah. And it's kind of like the same thing, right? You know what I mean? Like, well, I love the way, (laughs) I love the way you describe that because what you're pointing out really beautifully is that when you sit at the center of your own world, and you amplify your presence and your authenticity, you actually begin to create your own reality. You're actually creating a world. And we're designed to be living gods, where, as the masters say, the greatest creator species in the galaxy and beyond. So to be in complete authenticity and begin to amplify and be yourself, that creates a field of resonance. Other people with a similar magnetic resonance come and join in that space. You naturally group together. And that's where creation really begins. Yeah. Like in high school. I love that. Yeah. It's definitely something we notice uh, with, you know, the certain people that we're attracted to and also synchronicities, which I don't know how this fits into the 5D paradigm, but it does feel, at least in my life, and I think Tara can agree, uh, over the past 10, 15 years, synchronicities seem to be more common like i notice friends and people who i wouldn't expect to to comment on that sort of thing bringing it up and i wonder if this is an aspect of this sort of speeding up of things or the interconnectedness that we're now a part of 
Well, yes, and I would say it's also a return of the magnetic self because the more we step into our authenticity, the more of that frequency we're beginning to emit. And it's not that it's you're exchanging it with anyone because it doesn't even feel like exchanging ideas now. It just feels like agreement. And that agreement is a wonderful sign that we're no longer in that electrical negotiation yeah. system where we always have to sacrifice something to gain something, the opportunity cost. Now it's just what you call synergistic or, or synergy. It's, it's pure magnetic resonance and it grows exponentially. It's something that amplifies very quickly and there's nothing you had to give away in order for those things to occur. That's something that we started to notice with the books we were finding and it was, right, right, in a combination of, of all those factors, yes. And the books that we started to find were all about these stone structures around this part of the country that we're in. You said you're in Tennessee. I apologize. I thought you're all the way in Australia. Oh, I'm based in Australia. Yes. <laughs> right on. Well, now you're yes. in Tennessee, at least for the time. And it's interesting because when I would look into this stuff about mounds, I always felt like this part of the country was left out. There's some mounds in New York that are still around, but further east, not so much. And what we were starting to find is that there are mounds, they're just made out of stone. And the Native Americans or whoever was building these here were making them out of stone and they built all sorts of other stone structures that look a lot like what's over there in Europe and in some parts of Asia. And I wonder, you know, if it's even like a feedback loop that Tara and I are tapping into where the land is noticing that we're noticing these things. And it's like, yes, keep talking about this, keep learning about this. Here's another book. Here's another book. Because as we learned more information, it was like another place would present itself to us. And then we'd go to that place and we'd find a book about these rocks. And it's like, whoa, this is all coming together here. I love that. And here's another view of that. Because we exist as multidimensional beings in a multidimensional reality, there is no fixed map or landscape for what the Earth's reality looks like. So you're going to experience a map that's in accordance with your frequency or your magnetic resonance. So if you're moving into a state where what's getting your consciousness excited and curious is these stone structures, you're starting to switch on. That's your core resonance frequency. You're now accessing a map where more of that is available within that blueprint. So your world now has a lot of features on that map. It's almost like, you know, when you play video games, my son's a really big gamer, so <laughs> I like to refer to that. When you play video games and you get to the next level and all of a sudden you've unlocked all of these new new features and new things. It, it's like that. It's all based on your frequency. Well, and I'm sure there are people listening in the audience who are saying, well, then I want to become an expert in money because then money's just going to be all around me. And I wonder if there's like, uh, you know, certain areas where so many people are focused on it that maybe the rules are a little different. Like with this is a subject a lot of people know about. Maybe there's more energy just waiting there. I don't know. Maybe I'm not thinking of it in the right terms. But with a, with a subject like manifesting wealth and abundance, you know, mm -hmm. we've learned that 
you can't just sit around and wish for for money. I mean, it, it doesn't always work that simply. There's more nuance than that, and and I think people listening are like, well, you know, how do we maybe utilize this dynamic of leveling up and re- opening up this new map, as you put it, uh, mm-hmm. for something that's maybe a little bit more pragmatic, like you know, making your life better. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I'm actually going to do a seminar about this in the next six weeks. And I have done some over the years about manifesting because one of the biggest questions we often get is what what does creation and manifesting look like in 5G that's different to 3D? And really, you know, if we go back to what we talked about with that electrical system in 3D, everything's about, you know, what, what you put out, you get back. So, or, you know, there's going to be some kind of sacrifice that's required or some kind of effort that's expended to, to be able to be met. And, and there's a follow-up, you know, you need to still put things in action and follow through. So there's steps that are required. Whereas when you move into 5D, everything's about this magnetic resonance. So it's always about what you are functioning as. And if you are functioning as consciousness in authenticity, it's always going to come back to what are you most curious and what gets you most excited and for some people, that's money because they're fascinated with money. I am so joyous and excited to actually figure out if I can play this game of making money. And I know people like this who are amazing investors and incredibly wealthy, and they don't actually care about the lifestyle or a status or being comfortable. It's just that pure, curious fascination. The consciousness within them is excited to see what it can do with this. And they do extremely well and they love it. And someone like yourself who's interested in these stone structures, I am super curious and excited about that. So that's what starts to unlock on your map because when you become more and more conscious and your consciousness evolves and you shift into that fifth dimensional frequency of operation, it's not about what your mind wants to create or what you think you need to create to survive. It's pure. It's purely the experience of the consciousness that you are, the life force that you are, what it wants to experience, and that's the map that you're going to create. And you always know what that is because it's always the thing that makes you curious and excited. That's it. <laughs> and really, you know, on the topic of money, and I'm just going to put my little five cents worth here as well, <laughs> The masters always say, you know, we think we we want to manifest money, but we don't. What we actually want is experience. We want to have the experiences that we want to have. And when you realize that and you realize that you can generate a map with all of these experiences based on just being excited about it, you're going to get them and you don't necessarily need money and to have to exchange money to get them. Wanting money before you can have your experience is slowing down the manifesting process. I try to tell him that all the time. <laughs> it's true. Ask the right He's questions. He's got to hear it from, yeah. Ask her some questions Better. then. Well, I think now that we should invest our time in the stones, investigating the stones and yeah, I doing agree. more podcasts, I think. I agree. I was thinking of another question on that note when it comes to, you know, maybe the more tragic aspects of life when people get into things like 
drugs and alcohol, does it have this same effect? Maybe in the reverse where because they have so much excitement about that experience, you know, that high, maybe it's sort of drawing them into that world more and more. Is there something that people in that situation maybe can do spiritually? I mean, are there any, you know, ways of, of noticing where you might have a, I don't know, an addictive habit or a, a, a negative behavior and, and maybe how to, so to speak, detox that from your, your consciousness? I think that's a really great question. And actually, I've, had, I've actually lost family members in those situations too. So it's, it's a topic that's quite close to home for me. And, and I think there's a couple of different ways that you can look at that. The, the first thing is that whatever they're, was happening in their consciousness when they went into that experience, there, there's a certain level of grace in honouring that whoever they are as a core being, they wanted to have that experience and they were meant to have that experience. That was the, the gateway into that. And then, yes, you generate more of that experience based on this is exciting and curious to me. At a certain point, because the frequency and vibration of those certain substances and activities has a very strong collective nature to it, it's easy to start to mistake that pull for the pull of what actually excites you. And so you actually move out of your core frequency so much, you move into this other collective core frequency that's more of a collective field and that's where, what drives your choices because that collective field wants to experience more of that. So in moving back into your own sense of sovereignty because it's about sovereignty, and I have witnessed this in many people and I have not witnessed it in many people, sometimes there can be something that really just begins to expand within and says, right, it's time. It's time to do something else. It's time to revert back. And other times it, it doesn't, and they have that experience after they've transitioned. Yeah, I, I feel just, like you have another question about well, well, and and yeah, because it, I feel like you know when when I hear about this stuff, you know, oftentimes people focus on the positive ends of it, and that's fine. I think a lot of people need that, but I wonder, you know, given that these sorts of tragic things can happen to people, you know, what that says about our choices and our free will in this dimension and how, as you were sort of left to your own path, you couldn't lean on any mentors, you know, maybe these substances in a sort of karmic way are here to tempt us and and teach us that lesson in a way. I mean, I'm always a big advocate for, you know, and this is not for everyone's perspective, of course, because we live in a dualistic world and we tend to be quite divisive about things as positive and negative and so on. I always tend to bring everything back to my awareness and understanding that everything is of one consciousness that plays itself out in a dualistic reality. And it's very difficult to get a sense of everything truly is okay when we see divisiveness like this. And even in my own personal experience, you know, losing loved ones to substances and some of the activities that surround that as well, it can be very difficult to remind yourself that ultimately at their core, their pure consciousness having an experience and this is the way it's playing out. So my little trick that I do with myself on a practical level to get myself back into peace really with what's happening is I look at humans as fingers 
And then if you lean back a little bit, there's fingers on hands. So there's this group of people and this group of people. In this instance, there's this group of people that have addiction issues and lead this life and there's this group of people that don't. And then you lean back even more and you realise that there's an intelligence there that's holding both of those hands as part of its body of consciousness. And that doesn't solve at a practical level some of the issues that humanity faces in in duality, but it certainly can bring a sense of peace if you are dealing with it and you're at the coal face of it on a daily basis because one of the things we struggle with the most is a sense of helplessness and hopelessness, being able to assist people, being able to change how things are, but our consciousness in peace and grace can be helpful. Yeah, so that's what I would offer. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, wow, well said. Very good advice because, you know, it's a difficult thing, as you know and I know I've lost... Uh, family, thankfully, but friends to that. And uh, yeah, it's a difficult place to be in. And I think, you know, people are on their own path and for worse or for better. And a lot of times you got to let them come to that, you know, decision on their own and heal on their own. But when it comes to the world at large, you know, I've heard things about you know, everybody, if they could just clean up their own backyard and not worry about other people's problems, the world would be a better place. And I'm wondering if if in a spiritual sense, it is sort of like that, where when you start to heal your wounds, the world around you in this way, as the magnetic attraction begins to reflect that. And then in concert with one another, if we all start doing that, you know, essentially we'll we'll change the world for that better place that everyone's always dreaming of. Oh, I think that's so beautifully articulated. And I would agree with that. I think the question I get sometimes around that is, well, if everyone's just looking after themselves, then where's the compassion and where are the people to really assist other people who can't help themselves? And what I would say to that is, just like we were talking about manifesting before, if it gives you a great sense of joy and there's a great enthusiasm within you to assist others and be compassionate and be there, you're going to feel that it's going to be your drive in life. And there's people that live for that and it's what they're here for. And it's their passion and it's consciousness working through them in this way. And there are others who are just totally interested in their own internal exploration and their own expression of self and their own authenticity and their own self-development, if you will, or, or healing or, or whatever you would wish to call it. And that's perfect because that's assisting the collective also. So I don't think we could say that one is better than the other. I think it's consciousness serving itself so it can evolve. Right. And it's going to, it's going to there's a bunch of different fingers, like 8 billion fingers. <laughs> there's going to be a whole... A lot of different ways that happens. It's all valid. Yeah, I love that. And I think that is sort of in the same. Go ahead, Tara. Well, so I, I was going so to. So now maybe it would be a good time to bring up time. And how since everything is valid and we're. Humanity is experiencing the full range of experiences in from you know darkness to light so how does that so you know that kind of translates to time somehow so it's 
So what's my question? The, so I feel like, I feel that we've been at this place for a while now, or we're at this place now in time for these, I don't know, light experiences to happen, like more. Why well, is the shift taking so just, long? Sorry, say that again. Why is the shift taking so long? Yeah, right. You feel that too, huh? Is that the question? Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we see it as a linear progression. We see it as moving away from the dark and coming to the light. Right. And that's along a trajectory of a linear timeline. That's 3D, 4D. So what we're moving into is fifth dimensional reality. So instead of moving from history into the future or from dark to light, what we're actually doing is we're widening the bandwidth of vibrational frequency that we've been sitting on. And that's what the evolution is because we've been sitting within a particular set of timelines and now we're expanding it into a really wide frequency. So when we expand it, it's the wide rate of frequency, just like a radio, suddenly there's all these different channels available, but they start to become available simultaneously. So the first thing that starts to happen is we start to become aware that we don't know what time it is anymore. We lose sense of time and memory. We can't remember stuff from the past. We can't see a future. We don't know where we're going because now the direction of evolution is going this way or what we call vertically. So the x-axis of time is still there. We're widening it. So what happens with that is that, as you can imagine, think about it as volume. You increase the volume. So our consciousness expands. We become more. Our capacities start to switch online. We're becoming more of the superhumans we're meant to be. But it also means it turns up the volume on what we don't like and it turns up the volume on what we do like. It all gets turned up. And what we're going through right now is that widening. It's happening very quickly. And as it's happening, we're becoming more aware of what you might call the darkness or the negativity because now our view is widening to encompass everything. But likewise, we're also having many more joyous experiences and there's so much more available in what you would call the higher frequency experiences. So we're not actually moving away from one thing and into another because that's what 3D is all about. It's duality. We're actually now becoming conscious enough to be able to encompass all of it. So instead of being little kids, you're only you know, allowed to access this shelf for the library. Now we get the whole library. It can be overwhelming for people. It can feel like everything's super intense, especially emotions, thoughts can be on overdrive, all of that, because now we're aware of the collective shield more and more. But in essence, it means we have more choice because now there's so much more available than what was available before in that slice of vibrational frequency. And it means that we're less going to be less focused on how long things are taking. We're now more focused on how much is available in the present moment. And that's why there's some great teachers that have come through in the last 20 years or so have been talking about present moment and now because if you get into that present moment, if you D time and you think of fifth dimensional reality as that moving up and down the wide axis into a really big bandwidth, the now moment is that Y axis 
So if you get into the now moment with things that make you happy or meditating, instantly you have now accessed way more that's than than was was available to you before. All of your choices start to open up, and this is really the beginning of more more choice and more sovereignty in the world. So I don't know if I answered your question, <laughs> but that's how I look at it. Yeah. So the darkness is not going to go away. We're just going to get conscious enough to be able to be inclusive and embrace it all and bring new things to the world. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, our, I'm 28, she's 33 and you know, our generation is like the indigo child rainbow generation. Right. And I wonder if that sort of explains why, you know, many children in that generation grew up feeling this sort of, you know, increased introspection and, you know, other maybe paranormal abilities, psychic abilities, things like this, right? And because this channel is widening, this vibration, the capacity that we have as a race, as a human race, is is increased. Right. And people like like you, and I was one of the earlier Indigo kids that came through. I remember my mum handing me that book when I was about 12 or 14. <laughs> you know, are flooding the planet right now. And I'm just so excited that it's okay to talk about this. Yeah. I couldn't have done this when I first started, you know, being on a podcast. Well, not only did we not have podcasts then, but we just couldn't talk about this. Well. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like we still have to wake a lot of people up, but more and more we're finding like minds coming out of the woodwork everywhere. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And the, I don't know, It's it's exciting. I'm excited to experience, I'm excited to be, honest to be able to share this experience more in the day-to-day life. Well, I think that's something too, because, you know, after so many years and months of of doing that internal viewing and introspection, and I'm sure it must be the same for you too, the real joy starts to become in sharing it with others because that hasn't always been available and we're, we're so blessed to be on the planet at the time where that's where the real spark is and the real joy is. And that's a signal of evolution of consciousness too because if you think about all the centuries and millennia past, you know, the great sages and the people that really understood this stuff, it was all secret and it was all done in silence or behind closed doors and there was no joy of sharing. Yeah. It was a very serious business in terms of your inner space but it was also a very serious business in not being able to share it. Well, and so now consciousness is evolving. We're becoming more collective in the way that we can discuss these things. Right. Yes. And does that explain why in the past, you know, because um, I've done some looking into St. Germain and I was very interested to see that's someone that you're familiar with. Yeah. Uh, is that why St. Germain in the past would have been seen maybe more like like an actual person because people were just so in that reduced perspective that was the only way he could break through to people and and make sense to them and now since more people are open to channeling it he, he can sort of just share his consciousness rather than incarnating in the person because there's stories about saint germain going back hundreds of years like he's been yeah. like an immortal person essentially yes yes and 
both. <laughs> so I love the way he does that because he shows us what's possible as a consciousness. You can either embody a, a human form or, or not, or simultaneously do. I mean, I'm not the only channeler in the world that brings through things from Saint Germain, but as he explains it, we're all aspects of the same consciousness or branches off a similar tree. And so it's really the deeper you go into yourself, you can actually access anything, really. I mean, for me, he was one of the first um, first streams of consciousness that I ever channeled that came through. It's probably why I had such a big head because <laughs> it was quite an energy. But he has a great sense of humour around all of that and, and loves the flamboyance. And, I mean, different people have different experiences of Saint-Germain. I get the very flamboyant, you know. Uh, what does he say? He says, be, be luxurious but never vulgar. So mm-hmm. it's a celebration of, of all things that are possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's just celebration. It's kind of <laughs> quite funny. Wow, so no. he's a comedian too. I think that's... Oh, definitely. So they all have a great sense of humor. Now... Help me wrap my head around this from maybe a more third dimensional perspective. Would would we consider Saint Germain as somebody who originated as a human like the three of us and then became what he is now? Or is it more appropriate to say Saint Germain is and always was as he is? That is that more true? I would say most definitely from my experience and twenty years of of engaging with that energy that it is a a consciousness that's principally concerned with the earth reality and uh, has a great love for humanity and knows an awful lot about time too because the state of timelessness is what enables that consciousness to move in and out and appear as different people in different times as well. So part of, I guess, a whole collective consciousness that's very concerned and has a great love for humanity and really sees this as the home as the home place but again what is home (laughs) are any of us really here are any of us really here or are we uh, experiencing a grand and glorious simulated projection of consciousness from a point of origin and we are having a glorious time making sense of it all (laughs) I'm hearing more and more of that, and I wonder, you know, I think there is more truth to that than what the scientists are cooking up in their laboratories and universities when it comes to this holographic universe that we're in, the simulation. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like a lot of what people experience fits better into that model, so to speak, than the one that's given in academia do your guides explain why that is is it on us as humans to sort of figure out or have the majority of us just become sort of blind to this kind of thing what how do you explain this not being sort of commonplace this information well i think it will be and there are sciences at the moment is you know new new paradigms in physics that are opening up and mathematical models that are showing that we're living essentially what is an energetic simulation. And if you look back into metaphysics, we've been hearing this for many years, you know, your thoughts create your reality. I think we just didn't know what that really meant at a fundamental level. So I I think it, it is the nature of consciousness to expand 
and the nature of consciousness to continually experience more. And from what everything that I've been shown, the premise of the earth reality, not in the beginning, but it's certainly became an enclosed encapsulated system. And when anything becomes enclosed and encapsulated, we move into a sense of duality because there are limitations, there's boundaries, there's in here and out there. And so now that so many fingers or points of consciousness have been experiencing and creating over and over again the same experiences in a multitude of different ways, I tend to think of our simulation as a a tapestry. So you have the base fabric, which is the dimensional reality, and then with all of the human experiences, there's all of this threads and weavings. And as you know, when a system is encapsulated, you get the karmic cycle. So you have the same experiences, the same traumas, the same blueprints lived out in a multitude of different ways over and over and over and over again with slight tweaks and changes. And, but it's all essentially the same themes for humanity that we've had for so long, at least 330,000 years or so is what they say. So the tapestries become totally full. It's chock-a-block. And basically it's become so full and so heavy, you lose sight of the fact that you're even in a reality anymore. We can't keep doing the same stories and playing out the same things all the time. We have to shift to a new fabric. And so it's the evolution of consciousness that, okay, humanity has experienced so much of this or it's experienced so much of itself through the guise of humanity. We now need a different set of experiences. And that's when the whole bandwidth widens to now give us accessibility to new maps. And a lot of those maps are fairly sparse and it's our experiences within them and willing to be explorers and pioneers that's now going to create the new pathways and the blueprints for the next generations to come. So you know, people like like you and I or us sitting here, we're at this yeah. tricky transition point and we wouldn't be here if our consciousness didn't have the capacity of being able to be aware of one paradigm and simultaneously have our eye on the emerging one as well. So we're creating that bridge between the two. And that's really tricky because society still demands us to play the game the way that it did and have all those experiences that are already there. We're not interested in any of that. Nothing on offer excites us. <laughs> what else is there? So we're, we're doing both. <laughs> Straddling, yeah. And in that way, the enclosed system or the enclosed simulation starts to open up. And that's, of course, when we start to become aware of our galactic interconnections and, and all of that as well. Well, and on that note, I recently had a really riveting conversation with a gentleman named Sunbow True Brother. He had an experience in the 1980s where he began communicating with what he dis, uh, describes as an elder Sasquatch. And this Sasquatch described to him the whole history of the planet, and, and a lot of really amazing things came through in his channelings. And I'm wondering, considering... Kathumi, Serapis Bay, St. Germain, they're all humans, right? Well, or at least have that sort of form. I'm wondering, is that an aspect of this worth learning about? Like, does that even really matter? Are they appearing as they are or as we want them to look? Like, can they sort of go past, you know, how we perceive things and sort of 
assimilate to maybe what our minds are already comfortable with, right? Like, oh, for sure, for sure, I would agree with that with the latter. Because yeah. because really, it's consciousness in form, right? And that form is always going to be something that our minds can ascertain. Mm. In other words, something we already have a memory or a reference for. Right. Because I I think that that makes a lot of people really skeptical. Like, oh, this human being, you know, they see St. Germain and like, oh, yeah, this human can do all this amazing stuff. But maybe they're not seeing that's just how it's appearing to us. Right. I mean, this is more like a middleman than the actual source. Well, I wouldn't even say it's a middleman. I would say it's consciousness appearing as. Right. Right. Okay. Just like right here, I am a consciousness appearing as. Right. And you are also a consciousness here <laughs> appearing as. And we're creating this beautiful alchemical conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and on that note, you know, how much have you learned about the other, so our neighbors, so to speak? in Because you mentioned the galaxy and our interconnectedness. Are there other races or species of conscious beings that you're aware of that humans are going to maybe begin to interact with more now that the we're open to this higher bandwidth? Or is it more of a dimensional shift where these are different beings of, of sort of energy rather than like a, a different type of what we are? Well, both, I I feel, I don't know that we could separate those two things because as that bandwidth of frequency widens, we begin to become more aware of what's beyond this closed system. So all of a sudden there's an awareness and that awareness may manifest in terms of, oh, it's being talked about a lot more or, oh, you know, certain species are physically appearing in our reality. It's more prevalent in my view and from all the people I speak to around the world that there's awareness of opening up within people's own awareness. I'm starting to feel and think about these things more. I'm sort of more interested in this. So the appearance of other streams of consciousness that originate in other places, I feel, is more likely to actually arise from within people. Mm. And with that comes that wisdom. Right. And the bigger thinking and the bigger view of what can we do to assist humanity or how are we a part of something greater than us, than our appearance as an individual entity. So that consciousness for sure, that galactic consciousness is beginning to flood the earth reality because, or has it always been there and now our viewing is widening, we can start to feel it and sense it and think about it and become aware of it more. I think that's actually more, more on point. It's not that they're arriving. It's just that we're now starting to sense it. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we do. I mean, we do have from time to time in different seminars and courses, streams from other places, so to speak, that come through and talk about what's happening at the planet. We had some had a group from Antares come through in the last month or so, which I, don't, I know nothing about. <laughs> but it was super interesting. Yeah. Wow. Super interesting, yeah. What what did they have to say? They were really what talking it? about how how the consciousness of the planet is emerging, and what that looks like, and how well actually what they were speaking about. We were doing a course on cosmic travel, which is how to travel from within your body to different places, and they were saying that they view the Earth reality through the human, so that's how they get a glimpse. 
of what's happening here sort through of, human consciousness. Yeah, like, is that sort of similar to like an orb? I've heard orbs described that way where there's, you know, they can see through our perspective. See through perspective, right. So the way that I saw it from the Antarian point of view is like they see the human like almost like a portal or a pair of you know how you can put special glasses on and all of a sudden you can see things you couldn't see before. So they need to experience this reality through our, our consciousness or they can't perceive it in the way that they perceive We perceive it because they're sitting in a dimensional reality where duality is not a thing. Right. Wow. Now, considering where you are and what you mentioned earlier about going to some of the mound sites, have you received any information through your channeling about the mound builders? Because there's still a great deal of mystery surrounding the mound dealers, although mound builders, although the yeah. the archaeologists have their sort of jargon. There's many yeah. people who dispute that and say, and the Native Americans themselves say, yeah, there are people before us that built these things. So, yeah, what are your yeah, thoughts? I, I have received some information about that, and I have been lucky enough to be in touch with one of the particular mound builders, particular site that came through and gave us some information, which was unexpected and great. And it's not actually something I've talked about yet. <laughs> I'm still collating all of this. But sure, if it's come up in the conversation, let's share. So so what they describe and what the masters have also described, because I've gone in and asked them about it as well, is that these particular, they're built on particular, two, two, two things. First of all, some of the mounds are built on sites where there are openings in the geomagnetics of the simulated reality. In other words, their entry and exit point. So you can come in and you can go out. And some in a later period, they figured out how to build these mounts to generate entry and exit points as well. So things were set up very specifically in alignment, not only with certain lines and frequencies on the planet, but where it was lining up with other stars as well. Because if they could get that right, they could create an opening and an exit point. Wow. So as, as you probably know, later on, lots of rituals and things were done there um, by different groups that moved through and realised that these sites were doing something interesting. So there were burials there and all sorts of um, things going on, you know, with the sun and the stars and all of that. But my understanding, in essence, is that as the earth was becoming an encapsulated simulated reality, these were still entry and exit points where you could come in and out. And at a certain point, a lot of them were closed. And I think there's a whole lot around that. Yeah. And I have heard, for example, in Australia, that some indigenous groups have come together, the Aboriginals, and looked to, to do that more efficiently and close them. And I'm also aware of other groups in the world who the elders have come together to open. <laughs> so I think it's all, I won't say that it's become a natural part of the earth's design, but it certainly in some parts of the planet is still functional as an entry and exit point. Right. Wow. And I can imagine that, there are probably reasons why they'd want to keep it open or closed, right? In both instances, are are these particularly aligned with the stars that you know? Well, the the stars that they're aligned with is that maybe a hint as to where the exit is taking you? 
Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. I mean, I've been to some pretty cool. There's this one particular place in Indonesia that I spent some time in and taken people to. And that particular, it would probably really interest you actually. That particular site is actually all made of stone and it looks like a mountain, but it's not. Um, it's called Gunung Parang and it's in uh, Java. Uh, I think more people might know about it at the moment, but when we started going, it was, it was very off the beaten track. Um, and it has chambers and things inside it. Um, and it's big, you know, you have to really get up there. And we experienced some very interesting things up there. So I have no doubt that these things are really built to allow one to move beyond the limitations of time and space within this particular reality that we have. Right. Yeah. Well, as we sort of ground the conversation here, I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering if, you know, given the title of this show, my family thinks I'm crazy. I'm wondering if you have any advice for people who may be in the same position you were in when you were young and this sort of all these things started to occur and, you know, maybe people are in a situation where they don't have a lot of folks to turn to for, you know, guidance in this sort of way. Do you have any advice for those sorts of people? People who are maybe more sensitive or attuned to this energy than others? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think the most important thing is to believe yourself, believe yourself. And if you can't find something out there to match what you're going through, that's a great sign because what it means is that you're now in a position where you're going to be leading the way for others. I mean, I do feel that it's easier to talk about things now and there's so much you can now discover on the internet and YouTube and everything, but you might find bits and pieces that I resonate with. That I don't know that it's the way moving forward that people are going to find a teacher or a leader, or someone to mentor them. I, I feel, I don't know if you would agree with me, that in some respects we're, we're moving to a point where the day of the teacher is over because we're really starting to embody it now for ourselves. And I think it's wonderful to be able to share and reflect and you know offer wisdom and also hear other people's wisdom I don't know if looking for a teacher or a guru or a mentor is, is going to be as fulfilling or give you what you need yeah. because our consciousness now I feel is accelerating way beyond what is currently seen to be the, you know, the expert or the pinnacle of experience. I totally agree. And, you know, it's funny with this podcast the majority of positive comments are from people who have a synchronicity about information or a guest. And that to me speaks to that particular piece was like a puzzle for them on their path. And then the, exactly. the majority of negative comments are people who are saying, why would you invite that guest? Why would you talk to that person? And I think those people are in that old paradigm where they're you know, looking for some authority and maybe they feel like I'm that authority or my guest is, right? And that causes some sort of inevitable problem and yeah. they vent about it. But it does seem like that's a byproduct of this accelerating of consciousness. I think even podcasting is a way that we're sort of accelerating yeah. consciousness, wouldn't you Definitely. agree? Definitely. And the more, the more you expand, the more you have to be willing to let go of your identity. Mm. 
And the masters told me very early on when I started bringing through information, they said they were very clear with me on many occasions, do not get attached to any belief or information because it's going to be super. And so even in my own position with what I do, I'm happy to share and speak about whatever people want to ask about or whatever questions. And we always address people where they are or what's currently happening. And then it could be something else. Whereas if I come in and say, this is my teaching, these are my set of beliefs, these are my rules and guidelines, then how am I then continually expanding my consciousness too? So, yeah, I encourage everyone to, you know, be curious, go with what resonates, but don't attach to anything because it's all going to be superseded really soon. Yeah, it seems like the the podca- podcasting specifically is, and but also maybe not just podcasting, but like... I, being grounded in what you do and being able to speak about it and share it with others, everyone, whoever comes along, just to, the ability to have like fluid conversations is going to be that like the like the propellers or the, the vehicle or something. The engine. Yeah, that engine. Like, I agree. What a great comment. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's our ability to articulate what we're currently experiencing. I know, like the chariot card in tarot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, I'm so excited you guys have this podcast and that you're doing what you're doing. I love the the energy and the consciousness of you. you. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been so nice to to talk with you, Rebecca. Could you tell the audience where they can learn more from you? You have four more wonderful books. Uh, Maybe you have a new one on the way. Uh, I I do have a new one on the way. Tell us about it. (laughs) But it's not out yet. I'm still working on it. Awesome. (laughs) About fusion energy and how that operates within our bodies and our reality. But you can find out more about me and and what we do at my website, which is just RebeccaDawson.com. Super easy. And I actually have a couple of things you can sign up for free on there. You can get a chapter of of one of my books all about the body if you just jump on the homepage. Or if you just type in RebeccaDawson.com backslash or is it forward slash backslash meditation, you get a meditation download that's channeled from the Master's as well and there's loads of articles and videos and all sorts of free stuff on there you can explore so wonderful and have a look wonderful <laughs> well we'll be sure to link that for everybody in the description so folks follow up there and uh, wow rebecca thank you so much for joining us and unless tara has any final questions tara what part of australia are you from <laughs> I'm from Perth, the most remote part. Oh. <laughs> it's the most isolated capital city in the world, yeah. which is why we like to travel so much. Have oh, you been there? That's, yeah, when like in 2011, 2012, I lived there for two years in Sydney. Oh, you did? I loved what? it. Oh, my gosh. How did we not cross paths at such a small place? I know. That's amazing. And I- I had I planned a trip to Perth when I was there, but my visa ran out. I think that's what happened, so I didn't end up getting to go out uh, there. But 
Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Well, maybe if you're there sometime in the future, we'll connect. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We'd love to go out there for sure. I've never been, but wonderful. Well, folks, as I always say, yeah, as I always say, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to this very special episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Big thanks to Rebecca Dawson for joining myself and my lovely girlfriend, Tara. Big thanks to Tara for putting up with all my nonsense and joining me for this interview. Now that we've found a new apartment, hopefully Tara will be joining me for more interviews and you can look forward to that. Uh, please do sign up on the Patreon or the Substack to support the show. We have so many new people that have joined. We're 30% of the way to our goal of having 250 patrons. So please sign up today and support the show. Uh, be one of the original 250 supporters of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. There are tons of perks. Not only do you get extended editions of each episode not every episode you know to be honest i'm gonna shoot for two and a half hour interviews from now on or at least the the episode to be at least that long so if you're listening on the free side you're only gonna get about an hour and a half of that maybe more and for interviews like this one that unfortunately went a little shorter uh i'm just gonna put them out for free the same way we normally do so uh, but we are still going to have an extended outro for this episode different from what you are listening to right now so if you like the show you want to support the show uh, not only do you get bonus content but you don't have to hear me go on and on and on about how i need support for the show this is a value for value uh, podcast and unfortunately uh, our sponsors are few and far between at this point in time. Uh, we're still growing, of course, and maybe that'll change in the future as the show grows more. So do what you can to help now. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show. Uh, when you do leave a five-star rating and review, I will read it on the show. And I'm going to read some of those now because we got a couple good ones. And uh, yeah. That's about it for promoting. Shout out to the Hit Kit. Hit Kit's awesome. They still support the show. And they've even been a guest on the show. So look at that. But tons of people have supported the show in the past week. I really appreciate all the love for my birthday. Thank you for all the happy birthday messages and whatnot. Let's see. We got... A donation from Amanda. Thank you so much, Amanda. Marissa. Thank you so much, Marissa. Uh, and then we have, let's see. I know our friend from Europe sent us a, a donation. I just got to find that in one moment. Yes, our friend Branimir from the Czech Republic. Shout out to you, brother. Sent me some some dough for 
my birthday. I appreciate that. Thank you very kindly. And some people on Buy Me a Coffee also supported the show. Um, and I'm going to give them a thank you as well right now. Lori, shout out to Lori who supported through Buy Me a Coffee. And then someone who remains anonymous. Shout out to you. You know who you are. They bought 20 coffees, which translates to $100, right? Because each coffee, a cup of coffee costs damn near $5 these days. That's more than a gallon of gas. Go figure. So help me out. Uh, although I'm trying to drink less coffee, uh, I will maybe buy a water with that money that you do send to the show. It's a value for value show, and I cannot do this without all of your kind, loving support. You guys mean the world to me every time I get a kind message or somebody signing up for the show. It really, really makes all of this hard work worth it. So just keep that in mind. And uh, yeah, like I said, if you don't want to hear me jabber on about this kind of stuff, sign up for the show. You don't get any of that when you support on the Patreon. So just want to give a shout out to some of our new members here. Uh, we've got Steve, shout out to you. Uh, we've got Lori, shout out to you. And we've got Stephanie, shout out to you. They're all members of the Inner Circle. They all join the Inner Circle tier. So for that, I'm going to play a very interesting sound effect if I could find it. Marcy, shout out to you. And Andrew, shout out to you. Thank you for joining the Kung Fu Fighter tier. For you folks, I have another sound effect. All right. So sign up today. You'll get a sound effect depending on what tier you join when I give these shout outs. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Go support Rebecca Dawson. Her website is linked in the description. Check out channeled books or just books. Check them out. She's got some new books. She's got some other books. Rebecca Dawson, really nice gal. And I, I thought that part about the mound builders was fascinating. Kind of fits into some other things that I've been researching lately. So sign up for the Patreon to hear more of my thoughts on that. And until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Dipping dive above the earth circling 
I'm spiraling, sacred geometry Studying my old selves like it's anthropology Honestly, feeling like life's a comedy As big a game as a paper run economy I've been playing safe, but safest for the weaker heart Wait, I'm peeking, tearing everything apart Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit uh, I'm peeking through the curtain Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose Wait purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com/purpose. Parker, engineering your success.